We'll move on into our scripture reading. We continue to read from Genesis this morning. We're in chapter 21. The child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw that the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, playing with her son Isaac, she said to Abraham, Cast out this slave woman with her son, for the son of this slave woman shall not inherit along with my son Isaac. The matter was very distressing to Abraham on account of his son. But God said to Abraham, Do not be distressed because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you, for it is through Isaac that offspring shall be named for you. As for the son of the slave woman, I will make a nation of him also, because he is your offspring. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder, along with the child, and sent her away. And she departed and wandered about in the wilderness of Beersheba. When the water and the skin was gone, she cast the child under one of the bushes. Then she went and sat down opposite him a good way off, about the distance of a bowshot. For she said, Do not let me look on the death of the child. And as she sat opposite him, she lifted up her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the boy, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What troubles you, Hagar? Do not be afraid, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Come, lift up the boy and hold, fa- hold him fast with your hand, for I will make a great nation of him. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. She went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. God was with the boy, and he grew up. He lived in the wilderness and became an expert with the bow. He lived in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother got a wife for him from the land of Egypt. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So we've been reading through Genesis about this covenant God has established with Abraham and Sarah. Part of the covenant was a child, descendants. They've been waiting for this child. When we read last, they were distressed because they had waited for so very long. Then as we began to read today, the very first verse, we find out that the child has arrived and has been weaned. That's so important. Abraham decides to have a celebration to have a feast because infant mortality could take a child even though one was born but now this child Isaac has grown strong enough weaned grown up he survived it it is time to celebrate but unfortunately the celebration turns ugly rather quickly right after we began to read in the very next verse verse 9 It's recorded that Sarah saw the son of Hagar the Egyptian, whom she had born to Abraham, playing with her son Isaac. So she said to Abraham, Cast out this slave woman with her son, for the son of this slave woman shall not inherit along with my son. So even though it was Sarah's idea that Abraham try to have a child with Hagar, and the idea was successful. She now, that she has a son, sees this other boy and decides she needs the mother and the boy to be banished, to cast them out. Not just that they may not share equally in the wealth of the family, but they must be excluded and sent away. It seems to me that Sarah is letting her fear fuel her actions. First, her fear drove the idea that Abraham should try to have a child with Hagar because she feared 
there would be no heirs. But now in this situation that there are heirs, all of a sudden she's overcome with fear that there will not be enough, that you can't share what you have with both children, she says to Abraham. This one has to go. Have you ever seen somebody act out of fear? Have you ever been somebody who acted out of fear? Either way, I bet you could see that we are not at our best when we act out of fear, when we let fear drive what we think and what we do. Well, there are things in the world to be afraid of, legitimate things, but so often when we become gripped by fear, it's by irrational or unrealistic fears or fears that are overblown that take over our thinking and our emotions and sometimes completely rule our lives. But when fear gets that kind of grip on us, it leads us to unhealthy and destructive behaviors, destructive to ourselves and also destructive to others. I read recently in Christian Century Magazine a story that Reverend Isaac Villegas had written. He was reflecting on his ministry and how 13 years ago he was ordained. And he was thinking about the congregation, how the regular people were there, but also so many friends that he knew that weren't a part of the congregation but came to be a part of that special day, his first day of full-time ministry. He says he remembers so vividly the district supervisor was there and asked him a question about how he was going to conduct his ministry and whether or not he would be faithful in prayer in upholding and teaching the scriptures and seeking the good of all in the congregation. He says he looked out across the congregation and saw faces, looked into eyes of so many people, some he knew well, some he was meeting for the first time. But of course he said yes, he would do that. But one of the people that he saw that day was a longtime and good friend, Ali. Ali was a faithful Muslim. He was in the congregation that day. And Viegas says he realized that when he took that vow to care for all who were there that were a part of that congregation, even though Ali was of a different faith, in his mind he was a part of his ministry. He says as he was reflecting on that, he realized that the entire arc of his ministry, his country has been at war with a number of other countries. They all happen to be majority Muslim countries. And he says he has seen the unfortunate consequences of what happens to Muslims in our country when we have a war on Islam. He says he's seen the destructive effects on Ali and his family. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm against violence, whether it's from Muslim terrorists or homegrown Christians like Timothy McVeigh here in our own state. I'm against people shooting police or police shooting or killing citizens. I'm against violence in all those forms. All of them are contrary to our witness as followers of Christ. But as I was reading Pastor Viega's reflection, it reminded me of what happens when unrestrained fear drives our decisions and our actions. I want to read you just a few sentences of how Pastor Viegas reflects on this. He writes last week on Instagram, 
I saw a picture of Ali bowing in prayer alongside his son and father-in-law. The three of them cozy on one prayer rug. My district minister's question flashed to mind about my calling to be faithful in prayer and to seek the good of the congregation. The well-being of Ali's life of faith has been part of my pastoral vocation from the outset. My Christian service to God cannot be separated from a calling to peace, to protest against U.S. wars, to struggle for a world where my friend can pray without fear. Too often, we allow fears to begin to drive our behavior, and there is a difference between Real fears, things we need to be cautious about and perceived fears that have been overblown or hyped or fed to us from some other source. So often our fears blind us. Can you see the difference between a terrorist from a country that might be majority Muslim and your Muslim neighbor that lives in your neighborhood in Tulsa, Oklahoma? Can you see the difference between an American citizen rallying for equal rights and justice under the law and those who are using the crowd just to loot for their own personal gain? Can you see beyond the police uniform to see the person who has volunteered and given their life to serve and protect others in their community? Beware of overgeneralizations about entire groups of people. Beware, I put in the outline, of others stoking fear to galvanize one group against another. Because fear binds us and blinds us. It traps us into a scarcity mentality. And it blinds us to seeing the nuance and the variation and the differences within our group and other groups. Sarah is bound, I think, in this passage today by her fear, and she's blinded to what God might be able to do in her life. And so she responds, cast out the slave woman and the boy. Abraham is distressed by the stance that Sarah is taking but in ongoing conversation, or you might say ongoing prayer with God, a new insight comes. Hear what Abraham hears from God in verse 13. As for the son of the slave woman, I will make a nation of him also. When Sarah says there's not enough, God says there is enough. In fact, there's more than enough. There is abundance in God's economy. Can you believe that? It's so hard to believe that when we're gripped by fear and trapped in a mentality that's governed and ruled by fear. Later in the story, Hagar, the slave woman, and her son Ishmael, have been wandering in the wilderness and now they are out of water and they're wilting under the heat of the sun. And then we read this in verse 17. And God heard the voice of the boy. 
And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What troubles you, Hagar? Do not be afraid, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Come, lift up the boy, hold him fast with your hand, for I will make a great nation of him. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well full of water. A well of water. The good news here is that God hears our cries. When you feel trapped and you can't see a way out, God can see a way out. When you think you're at the end of the road and all is lost, God can show you a way. When you are experiencing a downward spiral and things seem to be out of control and you feel like you're losing control, you can turn to God and God can steady you in the midst of all of that. The good news in our passage today is that God does hear our cries, that God is with us, even if you're feeling pushed out or pushed away, even if you seem to lose everything that you had believed in and counted on. God is there, this passage says. It says if you're in one of those situations, listen, and you might just hear an angelic voice saying, do not be afraid, for God has heard your cries. Hold fast, for God can provide. During these days of pandemic, I've pretty much been coming to my office at church and working and going home, having dinner with my family and staying in. So I've been telling you, we've been watching lots of television. Recently, I watched a special about Garth Brooks. Maybe you have seen it. It's a wonderful storytelling of Garth Brooks' life. You may remember he grew up in Yukon, Oklahoma, went to Stillwater College at Oklahoma State, began to play music around Stillwater became very popular at the end of his college. He decided he was ready for the big time. He drives to Nashville. He talks to a couple of executives. They tell him he's making so much money, if it was them, they would go back to Stillwater. So he gets back in his car and heads back to Stillwater, drives all night, calls his wife when he's almost home and says, I'm coming back. Of course, that's not the end of the story. The special goes ahead to document what happened then and how finally he gets back to Nashville. And once there, he begins to do really well. He rises and rises in the charts. He has lots of top hits. He becomes the number one touring act in America. Then he goes international. And all of a sudden, he becomes a person, this fellow from Yukon, Oklahoma, that sold more than any other recording artist in the history of of music not just country music but all music but it also tells the story of the night that he was in los angeles for an awards show and as he's getting on his bus the verdict has been announced about officers police officers who have beaten rodney king and they are exonerated and he says He's on his tour bus driving out of Los Angeles. You can see the fires burning all around. As they're driving out of town, he says something stirred his conscience. 
And he thought, I have got to write a song about this. So he called one of his longtime friends that he enjoyed riding with, Stephanie Davis, and says, this is what's going on. I'm on my bus. And she said, I've been watching on the news. I've already started writing a new song. They write the song. It's called, We Shall Be Free. But all of a sudden, even as big a star as he was some country radio stations didn't want to play it they said it's too liberal it has too much about justice and equal rights in it and they ban it from their stations interestingly enough it's picked up by christian radio and becomes a hit i want to read you the lyrics as we close this morning from this song we shall be free this is what garth brooks sang this ain't coming from no prophet just an ordinary man When I close my eyes, I see the way this world shall be when we all walk hand in hand. When the last child cries for a crust of bread, when the last man dies for just words that he said, when there's shelter over the poorest head, we shall be free. When the last thing we notice is the color of the skin and the first thing we look for is the beauty within when the skies and the oceans are clean again we shall be free we shall be free we shall be free stand straight walk proud cause we shall be free when we're free to love anyone we choose when this world's big enough for all different views When we all can worship from our own kind of pew, then we shall be free. We shall be free. We shall be free. Have a little faith. Hold out. Cause we shall be free. And when money talks for the very last time and nobody walks a step behind, when there's only one race and that's humankind, then we shall be free we shall be free we shall be free amen and thanks be to god